directly into his relationship with God. That was as practical and accurate a relationship as his attitude to figures. His great discovery could not even be said to have made him a religious man. It only made him an extremely conceited one. And there is no conceit so all-absorbing as the one that must keep its reason secret. He cherished his world-destroying date as another man would cherish a secret vice. It was, for him, a secret vice, and gave him all the sense of luxury, the pride of rare personality, the rich incense smoke of danger that secret vices give to their possessors. It gave him also an air of sacred mystery that irritated his fellow clerks, but attracted certain innocent persons, for the most part women. The clerks credited him with hidden mistresses, and wondered how he, mean as he was, managed to keep them, and the women with hidden knowledge. Mary Carter, an innocent child living with her parents, who kept a boarding house in Kensington, fell in love with him, and saw him in a fire of poetry and golden mystery. He liked her figure, and being a most moral young man, married her. They went to live in Bloomsbury, and there patiently awaited the end of the world. When Mary Brandreth heard the news, it did not seem to her an impossible event. The world must end sometime. Her husband was the cleverest man she had ever known, and she was so certain of this that she would believe anything that he told her. The date, moreover, was thirty years removed, and her only anxiety at first was as to the effect of the catastrophe on their children. When, after some years, it was clear that there would be no children, she was immensely relieved. Mary Brandworth was, in the early years of her married life, a very simple woman. She believed utterly in the good Victorian doctrine taught her by her mother, that a woman only truly lived when serving her husband and children. She had received no regular education, but knew everything about how to help in running a boarding house. That is, she knew how to deal with lying guests, ill-mannered servants, insolent tradespeople, and an ailing mother. This knowledge made her in no way a cynic. She was a bright little thing when she married Brandreth. She thought on her wedding day that a splash of heaven had fallen onto her carpet and would never leave it again. Thirty years of marriage had destroyed her sense of magic. What did it give her in exchange? He gave her a permanent horror of conjugal embraces, neuralgia behind the right ear, a tolerant but amused contempt of men, and a sense that God was the head of a large banking concern, and sat in a dark room counting up figures. Although it in no wise disturbed the regular pattern of her life, it was nevertheless a memorable moment when she heard God's decision about the world's extinction. It was memorable for another reason, namely, that it was at this same time that she realised that she loved her husband no longer. How does love disappear from marriage? Asked the innumerable banging of doors, colds in the nose, buying of things that must be paid for, white lies, and a too confiding physical intimacy. The stars in their courses fight against the dying of love, but not always with success. Women are patient and blind because they wish to be. Men are selfish and consider love only part of a life. Poverty prevents separation, and monotony gives unreal importance to ears that are too red, 
complacencies that are too stupid, preoccupations that are too selfishly trivial. So Mary woke up on this foggy winter evening, when her husband was most offensively peeling an orange with his fingernails, and had forgotten, as he lazily informed her, to speak to the landlord about the leak in the lavatory, to discover that her husband was less to her than a piece of dough, but that on the whole she would rather live with him than with anyone else. She looked about the little stuffy room, with the paper fans, the photographs, the china shepherd and shepherdess, and the picture of the fall of Jerusalem, and sighed. I suppose, she said, we shall go on like this, evening after evening, forever and ever. No, he answered, chasing a piece of orange round his teeth with his finger. Only until 11.45pm, January the 20th, 1929. Whatever do you mean, Henry?